This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to the program, everybody. Today is one of the most inspiring, motivating stories you're ever going to hear in your life. In fact, I knew a lot about this man's story because I watched it as a fan and I thought, you know what? This should be a movie someday. <laughs> and if, it, if I didn't know what really happened, it would be a really totally unbelievable movie. But it actually really happened. And the good news is now it is a movie coming out on Christmas Day, American Underdog. And it's about the man that's my guest today and the just absolutely incredible story of Kurt Warner. So Kurt, welcome to the program, brother. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to be on uh, as we were talking off air. My, my daughter has been a huge fan uh, of your podcast and you for a long time. And so love that, uh, that we get a chance to connect. I'm so grateful she connected us as well. Let me give you guys some background in case some of you don't know this. Let me, let me just paint a picture for you. What if I told you that the man I'm speaking to today is a two-time NFL MVP, Super Bowl champion, NFL Hall of Famer, the quarterback of the greatest show on turf, and that I tell you that all of that was accomplished by somebody who did not even start in college until his senior year. And it wasn't exactly at Alabama, no offense. He was at Northern Iowa. So it's a good program, but it's not Notre Dame or Alabama or anywhere like that. And that person goes on to not get drafted into the NFL, gets cut a few different times, has to go to NFL Europe, plays in the arena league. And that's the guy who produces the life and the career that I just described. It's mind boggling. When I read that back to you, Kurt, even for you now as a hall of famer, does it still just shock you that this has happened in your life? Well, I mean, obviously there's, there's part of you when you're going through some of those steps to go, okay, you know, you don't know what the future is going to look like, but you definitely don't think it's going to look like that. Uh, you know, much of the time, but by the same token, Ed, Ed, what I would say is that when everybody else was looking at the guy that sat on the bench for four years or the guy that was cut or the guy that was working in a grocery store, what I was looking at is, okay, when I did play one year in college, I was the player of the year in my conference. When I played three years in arena football, we went to two championship games and I was the best quarterback in the league for three years, the same in NFL Europe. So when everybody else was looking at the circumstances that surrounded me, what I was looking at was what do I do when I've got a ball in my hands? And so yeah. that to me is really what kept me going. And that's really in my mind, what defined me. It was more, I'm just not getting the opportunity. Nobody's ever shown me that I can't do it. So mm. there's nothing in my mind that's going to tell me I can't do it. No matter what anybody says, the problem was, as there was a problem with, you know, a lot of people is you're going through life and you're just like, I just need that opportunity. Somebody give me that opportunity. And I was fortunate that, uh, although it was a little later in the game and, and after going through some, some different obstacles, I was given that opportunity. And when given that opportunity, I believe because I believe that stuff about myself, I was able to take that opportunity and run with it. Unbelievable description of it. Cause I think people are listening to this right now. This is such a Christmas gift for my audience to have you, and by the way, guys, I, I'm not a movie promoter. Go see the movie. It's something you can see with your children. And it's just, it's a true story, right? But you know, I have to say to everybody listening to this, if you have a dream in your life and right now you're just lost and nobody else sees it and it just doesn't seem to be clicking. Kurt Warner is a story that you've got to listen to. Stay to the end of today's show because we're going to go through all kinds of different circumstances that he had to face and what he was thinking when he went through them. Stay with us today because I think it's going to inspire you beyond belief. So I want to go back a minute because that sounded good what you said, right? And I get that. <laughs> but you go, look, did you have self-doubt though, Kurt? I mean, like, 
you had a coach literally say to you, I'm watching the preview clip of the movie. And by the way, the guys playing Mike Martz and Quaid <laughs> playing Vermeil, they're just like spitting images of these guys. Right. But I'm watching the clip. And did you legitimately have a coach tell you one of your own coaches say to you, Hey, you should be thinking about your post football life. He literally <laughs> said this to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, because there was different steps along the way that, you know, as a kid, you know, everybody has the dream like, Oh yeah, I play football now. So I'm going to be an NFL superstar. And sometimes yeah. you need people to step into your life and go, dude, that's not in the cards for you. Now, mm. you know, you have to be realistic about where you're at. And once again, I don't know where he was at and what he was looking at when he said that. But, you know, when you, like you said, you're at a smaller school at that time, one double a school in Iowa and you can't even get on the field, you know, sometimes it's like, dude, you know, you know, get a, get a dose of realism right here. Like, I don't know why you think this is still going to happen for you. And I I think that Mm. was the mindset was just, you know, you're not doing the things you have to do in this moment to think that you're going to have a career in football and a great story. When I was in college, I remember, uh, you know, being on the bench for those four years and, you know, I looked at myself and I thought, man, I'm more talented than the guy in front of me. Mm. Like, why can I not get on the field? You know, in, in college, you have a spring game here or there different times when even the backups get a chance to compete. And when I competed in those games, I was like, I was better than the guy in front of me. So I really couldn't grasp why I couldn't get on the field. And so I had a friend uh, on the team that was a little bit older and had a better relationship with the coaches. And I just asked him, do you mind just going to the coaches and just asking them, what am I missing? Like, what, what am I not doing uh, to get on the field and get this opportunity that I feel like I deserve? And I'll never remember him coming back to me and saying, well, the coaches said, you're not very good in practice. And, you know, my first thought was kind of like Allen Iverson, as we've all heard the rant, like, are we really talking about practice? Like practice, (laughs) really good, but you're talking about practice. And that was my my initial mindset. Like, you gotta be kidding me. That's just an excuse. But then the more I thought about it, Ed, the more I thought to myself, you know, 99% of, you know, the impression that we leave on people is in practice. You know, because mm-hmm. especially when you talk about football, I mean, we play, you know, high school, you play 10 games, college, maybe 11, NFL, 16 days a year. You get yeah. a chance to get under the lights and show people what you can do under the lights. We prove to people who we are in practice. You know, mm-hmm. I think I have seven kids myself. And so I can get up on my soapbox and preach to my kids, and you know, when I'm passionate about something. But there's no doubt that they take more from what I do on an everyday basis how I love their mom, how I treat, uh, you know, their siblings, how I go about my job is that, you know, it's not just about what I do in that, that one big moment. It's about what Mm -hmm. do I do every single day? And I never really thought about life that way. Mm -hmm. To me, it was like, Oh, turn the lights on and I'm really good. I'm really good in that moment. But if nobody gets a chance to see that, or, you know, maybe more importantly to me, it was the coaches going, why should we trust you? Like, we don't see you doing anything on a daily basis that makes us say, Oh, let's give him the ball and let's let him lead our team. And that was really the point in the, in that clip in, in the movie of the coach saying that, like, dude, I, I don't know what you think you're showing us on a daily basis, but it's not anything that's going to lead you to playing in the national football league. But that was a eye opening moment for me to go, gosh, that makes so much sense. What a, huge, what a huge lesson. Show- yeah, I got to show my teammates what they can expect from me 
every day in practice. When we go into the weight room, I've got to let the coaches know when I show up for meetings or I show up for preparation or even if I'm running the scout team, this is what you're going to get every time you see me. This is what you're going to get in, you know, the moments when nobody's watching. And this is what you're going to get in the moments when everybody's watching. And I never really, you know, looked at it that way before that. I was one of the talented guys. I could throw the football. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just put me in the game and I'll show you. Yeah. And they were saying, no, show me now. Show me before yeah. I put you in the game. And isn't that so true in every situation? I mean, any, you know, big time situation you're in, somebody's not just going to go, oh, here's the keys to the car. Let's see if you can drive it. They want you to show them all the different things you're going to do behind the scenes to let them trust you by giving you the keys to the car. That is so good. You're making me think about things I don't like to admit, but that application of that's everywhere. It's in as a father, as a mother, as you said, it's in business, obviously the day-to-day stuff. But I was thinking when my kids were younger and we're going to talk about parenting, because I've actually adjusted a couple things I did as a dad from things I read about you. And I want to get into that a little bit later. I mean, that's about as big a compliment as I can give another man. But when my kids were little, I remember, and I want all the parents just to know this. I was so busy in business, so wound up, so fired up, so focused that, you know, my day-to-day dad stuff, I don't know that I was as present as I need to be. So there'd be these big moments where, okay, it's Sunday after church, we're going to go do this big thing. And I thought I'd save the week that I blew the entire week. But it's what you do moment by moment. It's that breakfast. It's driving them to school. Are you present? Are you talking to them? So the application of that is so huge for me. I want to go back a little bit and ask you about one moment because I pictured it. So you get cut and now you're at high V grocery store, I guess, stocking shelves. This is just bananas when you think about <laughs> this, right? You're there. And you said earlier not to preach, but I'm wondering, is that that you're stocking shelves? This is game over, man. Look, you didn't yeah. start, you know, till your last year, you're stocking shelves. You didn't make the team. Like you're like, this is like, if ever you're like, dude, wake up. Was it, <laughs> was it faith in that moment entering your life? Had that been present in your life? Cause it's such a centerpiece of your yeah. life. What got you through that's dark times. It's not like, yeah. Hey, your third string, you're on the scout team. But if the you know, number two guy gets hit, you know, you're going to come in and you're going to be at least number two on the, you weren't mm-hmm. on any depth chart anywhere. You were, even high on the high V depth chart. You're right. stock diet high V right. for God's sakes. What got you through those times? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that it was something, you know, really big in that moment. My faith wasn't at that time where it is okay. now, you know, although I had faith in myself, uh, you know, I believe God had a plan for me, but it wasn't this overarching. Oh, it doesn't matter where I'm at. You know, I'm going to find my way out of here. No, when, when, cause I basically went from green Bay's training camp. So you're, you know, you're this close to your yep. dream to, to work at nights in a grocery store for five fifty an hour. And, you know, and I remember the first, you know, couple of weeks when I was working there, it was like, how in the world did I get here? You know, and, and you go back mm-hmm. to what the coach was saying, yeah. you know, he, he saw the writing on the wall, like, dude, you got to do a lot more than this. To, you know, to, to do what you want to do, but I'm sitting here going, how in the world do I get here? Did I get here? And then the other part was how in the world do I get out of here? Like there, you go. Still my, there is no, you know, there's no path, right? There's no blueprint for going from a grocery store, you know, to the NFL. <laughs> and so those first couple of weeks I, I was, you know, I was wallowing around in self, self pity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you asked if, were there times that I doubted you? And that was one of those moments like, Oh my gosh, 
maybe this isn't going to happen. Like, mm. I, I don't know what the path is from here. And then I remember, you know, the thing that really, you know, kind of kept me going was like, okay, the first thing is I know I'm not going to end up here. Like, this is not the end game for me. And so that was the first realization I had to come to. Yeah, I'm here right now, but this is not the end game. So that's first. Okay. Now it's like, okay, now we got to start taking steps. And for me, it was, it was exactly that. Okay. We're going to take one step at a time. Mm -hmm. We're going to take one day at a time. And we're going to continue to try to figure out and navigate this path back to where I want to go. So at that particular time, you know, I was dating my, my wife to be at the time she was going to nursing school. She had two kids already. So she would go to nursing school during the day. I would watch the kids, uh, maybe get a little nap in. We'd do dinner together. I'd go work out, uh, you know, sometime in the afternoon. And then I'd work all night, uh, get a few hours of sleep and we'd do it all over again. And so it was just kind of, this is our life. This is where we're at, but we're going to take one day at a time. And, you know, I was still preparing for football and doing that. I was taking care of my family. The only way I really could at the time, trying to keep all this stuff alive, letting my wife be able to, to you know, to navigate what she needed to navigate in life. Um, and, and we started taking it one day at a time going, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to stay prepared for everything that's, that's here. So I'm going to just keep my eyes open for what that next step is, because I don't know what it is. I can't really force it right now. I'm going to just keep my eyes open. And I remember saying to myself when I got to that point was, okay, I'm, I'm working in a grocery store and you know, you sit back and you go, okay, what could I possibly do working nights and stocking shelves at a grocery store that could ever help me, you know, if I do get yeah. another opportunity or, or, or if I do navigate this to have a chance to play football again. And, you know, the, the one thing that I remember doing when I was there, so if, I don't know if you ever worked in a grocery store. Ever. I have. Okay. But so yeah. you stock shelves. And so yeah. obviously you, you get an aisle every night, uh, yeah. you know, aisle seven, the cereal aisle, and they bring the boxes and you <laughs> fill up the, the shelves with the cereal. And then at the end of the night, our job was to face the aisle. So what that means is we would take the product because not every shelf was completely full and we would pull all the product to the front of the aisle. And, you know, if you had baby food or if you had, you know, Kansas soup, you would turn the labels. So they were perfectly, you know, upright. So when the person came down the aisle, they go, okay, there's cream of mushroom, you know, there's, uh, you know, chicken noodle, you know, so they could read it. And, you know, so you'd line up those labels. And so every night we would have to do that at the end of the night is that, okay, you're, you know, once you stock it, now you have to face the aisle. And I remember telling myself, okay, I have no idea if that first person that walks into my aisle at 5 a.m. that has to grab something on the way to work, that's to, you know, run back, you know, something to, to the family before they head off to school. will ever know what my aisle looks like. But I always told myself, when I leave this store, I will have the best faced aisle in this entire store. It will be pristine. I will make sure every label is lined up perfectly. And to me, I, again, I don't know if anybody ever recognized it, but I did. Yeah. It was something that got instilled in me to say, okay, here I am. I'm in a place I don't want to be. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but while I'm here, I'm going to do something the best that I can do. I am going to shape my mindset to go everything I do, be great at it. And it was something that started in the grocery store that really would shape how I, you know, did everything moving forward is that now I don't do a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of hobbies, but the things I do, I want to be really, really good at them. And that was instilled in me working in a grocery store in a place I didn't want to be, but I had to wade through all the junk of, why am I here? And how did I get here? And how do I get out of here and go, I don't know. That stuff doesn't matter right now. What matters is you're here. 
what are you going to do now? You know, what, what are you going to do in this situation? And so that was kind of how I started to take the small steps of going, I'm going to be great at this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to take care of my wife's kids, you know, when she's at school and I'm going to work out and make sure I get my work in. So if that opportunity presents itself, I'm ready for that. And, and, and I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to be the best at them that I could be. And I believe being able to shift my mindset away from the circumstances and onto what I could do or what I could be in that moment really, you know, spearheaded me to be able to start taking the steps up that mountain, uh, you know, to, to climb my way out of, you know, this situation that I found myself in. My gosh, I just, my hairless arms have goosebumps. I don't ever say that. I didn't know we were able to be this good today. Um, I, I want, um, here's why this is so good. I'm sitting here going, I want my kids to be listening to this right now. I'm dead serious, everybody. That's what I'm thinking. And that lesson of how you do one thing is how you do everything was instilled yeah. in you there. And just be great where you're planted. Greatness becomes a habit. Excellence becomes a habit. And I'm just, I'm listening to you, brother. And I'm like, just for you guys all to know, and I want you to watch the movie, so I'm not going to give away the entire part of the story, but a lot of you know it, but I'm really glad it's coming out now because there's a generation younger than you and I, Kurt, that don't know you. They know Brady was a six round draft pick and blah, 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 which and by the way, I love Tommy. It's the, it's an unbelievable story. This is a thousand times better story if you go through it, because for me, the five best quarterbacks I've ever seen play football, Kurt Warner's in that conversation for me. Well, well, and I, you. you know, Joe Montana is a friend of mine. I know Tommy pretty well. Peyton's been at events of mine. I've talked about, I was at, for me to picture this man dialing in the can of soup to face correctly <laughs> and to know that a few years later, guys, I'm in Atlanta at the Super Bowl watching this man win a Super Bowl against the Titans is just hard to fathom for me. It's just, it blows my mind. Now, what I want to ask you about though, so people have these failures, right? And they have this imposter syndrome, you know, I don't belong. And you just had to overcome all these different things. Then you're, you, you make the team with the Rams, your second string they are a lot of people are picking them to win the Super Bowl that year, not because of you, but because of Trent Green, who's the starting quarterback. <laughs> yes. You got Isaac Bruce. You got the greatest show on turf. You got March as the coordinator, Vermeil. The team looks like it's going to be something pretty special. You have my dear friend, Marshall Falk, who's one of your best friends. And then I remember when Green got hurt and it wasn't like, all right, they lost their starter. It was like devastation. You know, it's like I was watching it live. Actually, I, I was like devastation. Like, oh, the season's over. Was that the tone in the locker room? Because they're like, all right, we're turning this guy Warner. I remember them going, Warner, who the heck is Kurt? Warner. I remember, I don't remember who it was. It was someone on CBS is like, I haven't, I, they went to him for an analysis. Like, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know anything about it. Was that, did the team rally initially or was it like, ah, oh, crap. And then finally rallied around you once you started to, or had you already shown them everything in practice that they needed to know? Well, you know, there's a couple of things here. I mean, obviously, you know, your teammates and, and you know, we all have a next man up and, and, and mm -hmm. we're going to fight through this and, and we're going to go. And so, you know, to a degree from the outside, you know, there wasn't that big sigh or I could didn't walk into the mm -hmm. locker room and everybody's, you know, crying and going, Oh my God, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that, but yeah, you mm -hmm. could feel it. I mean, mm -hmm. a Trent was playing great football. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and, and like a big part of our hope was pinned to Trent green, who was playing mm -hmm. great that understood our system and was tearing it up along with all these pieces. So when a guy like that goes down, I felt it, you know, like I felt it like, oh, oh man, like what mm -hmm. a bummer for Trent, what a bummer for our team, just, you know, outside of myself because he was playing so well. And so, yeah, there was, there was that sigh from everybody and you, and you could feel it. And, 
the bottom line though is I got it. I mean, I, I get it. You know, nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows how good I can be. It, it was natural for everybody to take that deep breath and kind of go, Oh man, the fate of the Rams. Here we go again. You know, the curse of the Rams. Here we go again. So I didn't, you know, that wasn't something that I was like, Oh my gosh, they don't believe in me. Yeah, I get it. You know, I was realistic from it that I know they don't know what they don't know. They don't know if I'm any good or not. I remember doing an interview actually about three or four weeks into the season. And, you know, all those, those weapons you talked about, Marshall and Isaac and, and, and Tori and, you know, and all the guys, Oz and Ricky and all those guys, we all sat down. So kind of all my weapons and myself sat down in an interview. And I remember, uh, you know, the interviewer asking them, okay, did you guys know? You know, and I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Like, is everybody going to say, oh, yeah, we knew, right. you, know, you know, oh, yeah, we knew he was going to be great. What are they going to say? And so they asked him that question. And I remember Marshall answering and go, you know what? We thought Kurt was awful because in practice every day, you know, Coach March would just yell at him and would write right. him. Every time we got into film, we thought, my gosh, this guy can't play because yep. you know that's all they heard when it came to me was hey, coach is yelling at coach. This guy must not be any good. And so that obviously lends itself to, oh, Trent gets hurt. And all we know is this guy that gets yelled at every day. Oh man, here goes our season. So they even said, we didn't think he was any good simply because of what we heard every day in practice. And, you know, so it was, you know, kind of, you know, one of those ironic moments that, I understood it. You know, you, you always want people to believe in you, but I understood why they didn't. I, you know, I wasn't you know, upset or you know, it wasn't one of those moments like, well, I went home to my wife and like, I can't believe these guys don't believe I can do it. You know, mm. it was just like, I got to go show them just like every other time. I, I get it when an announcer says, oh, their season's over because Kurt Warner's taken over. Why would they think anything different? Why would anybody go, oh gosh, yeah, this guy did really well in arena football. So he's going to tear right. it up in the NFL. I just looked at it as like, okay, here we go again. This is my moment. I've been waiting for this moment forever. Hmm. They don't need to believe in me right now. I need to prove to them that they can believe in me. That's hmm. what life is all about. It's about proving to them because, you know, we're all thrown into, into moments where it's like, okay, here, I'm going to trust you with this. I don't trust you yet that I think you're going to be great at it, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. Now you've got to show me. You've got to yep. prove. I mean, how often do we do that with our kids? Right. You know, at some point you got to go, all right, here's the keys to the car. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that they're going to come home safe. I'm not convinced, mm -hmm. you know, but at some point you've got to let them go and prove it to you. And that was my moment is that, you know, those guys didn't necessarily believe, but it didn't stop them from going out and doing their job and doing their job well to make my job easier and allow me to play to, to what I did. And so, yeah, that was one of those moments where, wow. you know, Everybody said the right things, you know, coach Romeo, you know, we'll rally around mm -hmm. Kurt Warner and we'll play good football, that. you know, and I always joke that he was saying it through tears, uh, you know, and I'm sure the tears <laughs> were for Trent Green, but I think some of the tears were like, Oh my gosh, here goes my job. You know, that I got to trust this to this guy that none of us know anything about, uh, but, but obviously there was, there was a touch of faith there, you know, back when yeah. he first gave me the opportunity to be a part of the team. I remember we, he told me in the, in the hallway, you know, I was sitting around waiting like last day of cuts. Like, am I going to make it or, or not? And we, I ran into the coach for me in, in the hallway. And that's when he told me I made the team. And he, he just said, mm -hmm. you yeah, I don't know what it is, but there's something special about you. I just, I recognize mm -hmm. something special about you. And I just, mm -hmm. you know, can't wait to, to see what it is. Like, I can't let you go without seeing 
what that is. So obviously from the get-go, there was something that he saw in me, but it was, you know, it, it was understandable that, you know, he was crying and he was upset and, and, yeah. and we thought our season at least to some degree was taking a big hit when Trent went down. Um, mm. And and I was okay with that because I, I knew it was always going to come down to, okay, you, you might get one game, you, you might get two games, but here is your moment. Now it's time for you to go prove to yourself, to everyone else that you belong here. If you don't yeah. belong here, then they should move on. They should go right. to someone else. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't think it was a situation where everybody believed in me in the moment, or I had shown mm -hmm. them any of this great stuff in practice where they go, Oh, we're going to be just fine. Everybody yeah. was worried and rightfully so. And, and now it's like, okay, go prove it to them. Go show well, it's, it to them. it's interesting. Everyone says the NFL is a show me league. And I said to my son one time when I said, I said, Max, life is a show me life. Yeah. Life is eventually a prove it life. You got to yeah. eventually put it up. But so you talked about believing they didn't believe in you. You can talk about tears. If you guys know Dick Vermeil, there's tears <laughs> a lot, right? More than a normal head coach. There's a lot of emotion yeah. there, but I, I want to go to listen. There's people chasing their dream right now. People always ask me the athletes I work with that I coach, you know, what do they want from you when you're working with them on their mental game? I'm like really they're all athletes. Candidly, they want more confidence and I mean, real confidence to execute yeah. has to be, they can be humble and have humility like Brady shows or that you showed, but the truth is underneath there, there's going to be a confident dude and to perform under pressure to execute. And this combination, what I'm curious about is I see people that, you know, they've got this dream, they're selfish. They start to do something. They're making progress. Mm -hmm. Then there's the setback. That's the defining moment. And so I want to ask yeah. you about that. You got a coach who's in tears, Mart is beating the heck out of you in all through camp. He says he did it intentionally. I don't know that I always buy that, but he said intentionally they were putting you under pressure to see what you were made of. You were stocking shelves. You had been sort of overlooked all your career. Now you're playing well, but then what happens in a game, maybe there was a game where you threw three picks or you threw four picks or something happened. And then that first shot of reality happens on your way to the dream. Every entrepreneur can get this everybody. And then you're like, uh, maybe they were right. Did that moment ever happen for you where you're like, I'm cruising, I'm doing well adversity. Ah, uh, maybe I am a fake. Did that ever happen? It, it, it didn't. I think it's one of those things. And, and again, we know this in life is that, you know, we have to define ourselves by who we are the majority of the time, and especially in sports, right? Uh, you know, business the same way. Every deal is not going to be a home run. Every game is not going to be 300 yards um, and, and three touchdowns. It just doesn't work like that. But you have to realize in the moment, okay, what happens in that moment to, you know, to take me down that path. I, I think, you know, to me, if you know what you're doing and you know, you're good at something, I could always look at the film and go, ah, gosh, that's why that game got off the rails. That's what I did there. That's not going to be what I do most of the time. That's not who I am. It's just, sometimes you have those moments or we're in sports. I mean, I think it's a great analogy is that you have those games. Everybody does. Nobody plays. I mean, you talk about Tom Brady, right? Best player that ever played in the National Football League. He's had some clunkers. He's lost some Super Bowls. You know, he's at multiple inters. I mean, we all have those games. It's really about how you define yourself and how you see yourself and what you do in those moments that really, really, uh, you know, to me, define who you are. So when you have one of those off days or you have one of those periods that aren't going, you're in a slump, you never let that go, oh, that's who I am. No, I never had that moment. I was like, no, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. 
yeah, we had some, you know, games. I had, you know, we can go look at the NFC championship game, right? The NFC championship game, we went 11 to six. It's the greatest show on turf, the best offense ever. I can't do anything. We can't put any points on the board at all. And, you know, and, and so you play a game like that and then you got to turn around because we're fortunate to win that game and you go, okay, are we going to let that game, you know, be what we are in the Super Bowl? Or are you just going to go, no, <laughs> that was a game where the other team was really good, which sometimes happens too. Sometimes you give credit to the other side because your opponents are really good. So you give credit or you say, man, I really screwed up a couple of plays. Yeah, that was really, really bad there. Don't let that happen again. And you know, in your mind, I'm not going to let that happen again. That's, that's not how I'm going to play the game. And so mm-hmm. I never really had those moments, you know, even later on in my career, and again, I probably let you go late, but later on when I got cut by a couple teams, you know, when other people were saying, Oh, he's not that same guy. Even in those moments, I, I thought they don't know what they're talking about. You know, yeah. you show me, show me why I'm not that guy. Show me what you're saying. And don't just say something, prove to me that I'm not that guy. And you're going to have to prove it to me before I'm going to believe it. Yeah. I watched you really closely so that you have that internal thing. All great people have, which is that you, that even with the athletes I work with, when they miss a putt, what, what, what's the average amateur golfer say when they miss a putt? I suck. I can't putt. <laughs> what I teach my pros to say when they miss putts, this may sound stupid, but their internal dialogue is when they miss a putt, I literally have them say, that's not like me. That's yep. not like me. Literally. It's a behavior. That's not like them, that it's out of character to have played that way. It's just a great right. lesson. When you miss a sales call, you miss a meeting. Yeah. I I've had instances with my kids where I've said something to them. I shouldn't have said, and it's just not like me. It's not that I'm a bad dad. I had a bad moment. So I had a moment where you kind of brought me to tears. And I just want to ask you about little elements of that's made you great. And, you know, before there was a Tim Tebow, for me, there was a Kurt Warner who was willing to be more bold about his faith than most athletes I had seen before. So you have this Super Bowl with the Patriots. It doesn't work out for whatever reason. We won't go into that. Um, there's some theories behind that. But as a Patriots what is that fan, helmet behind you, by the way? That is, is a, a Brady helmet. That is a Brady okay. helmet. I'm sorry. Just as you yeah. say that, I can't help but. My eyes keep going to that in the background. Like, <laughs> you're talking about that, but I know that's a Patriots helmet yeah. back there in the background. It is. It makes you, <laughs> probably makes you twitch a little bit. But by the way, he should have another Super Bowl. I just want to tell you guys all this. It was the worst officiated Super Bowl of all time, the Cardinals-Pittsburgh game. He won't say it, but they should have won that Super Bowl too. That's just my opinion. Um, but he can't say that, but I can for him. Having said that, though, you win the Super Bowl, and it made me emotional. I stayed. I was in the stadium still. And you basically said, thank you, Jesus, from the podium when you won. And it struck me. It made me uh, I'm like, I love this man because faith was new to me, relatively new to me in my life at that time. So what role does has that played and what is it like? Is it before a game? Are you praying before a game? Does it bring you comfort? What how does this just all worked in your life? I always wanted to ask you that question, the application of it. it. And it's a fascinating thing because. Oftentimes, you know, it's in moments like that where we get the opportunity to profess our faith in a way that, that the multitude get to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have different people that come from a lot of different places. So I remember when I said that and, you know, naturally the people that don't fully understand, you know, the, the kind of faith that I had would be like, oh, well, of course, you know, you, you think God's up there, you know, making your passes fly straighter or a tighter spiral or, or the other team fall down instead of making it, you know, and it's like, you don't get it. I'm not thanking God because, you know, every time I, I could close my eyes and throw it and he just made it go to the right guy every time mm-hmm. it's thanking God for 
the blessings in life, for the opportunities in life, for trusting me, you know, with the platform that I had been given. And that to me was extremely important at that time because of the journey that I've been on. And because of the way the season played out is that, you know, if you're a person of faith and you read the Bible, uh, I think what you realize it's a compilation of stories of limited people that Mm -hmm. found themselves in crazy circumstances that didn't have all the answers and just made themselves available and say, God, show me who I am. Show me how you want to use me. And in that you can be glorified. And that was really what that moment was for me is that, Mm -hmm. you know, thank you for choosing me you know, for this moment, for for this journey, because so long in my life, and you know, I was the guy that's like, why me? You know, why why do I have to be the guy that's sitting on the bench for four years? Why do I have to work in a grocery? Why can't I be the number one draft pick and go on and have a Hall of Fame career and everything play out in my favor? So for so many years, it was like, why me? Why do I have to have this journey? And then you work your way through it and you find out who you are and, and, and we'll talk about that later, kind of the training ground or the wilderness that I went through to prepare me for this moment that you're talking about. But you find yourself in that moment and now you kind of flip it and you, and you look at God and you kind of go, God, why me? Like, why did you choose yeah. me for this? Like, why do I get to be the modern day biblical story? You know, why do I yeah. get to be that guy that people are going to look at and go, dude, this guy was in a grocery store. You know, this guy was in the, the, the body of a whale. You know, this guy was you know, in the wilderness yeah. and, and, and this is how God was able to use him. And so that was what that moment was for me. It wasn't thanking him for giving me a trophy. It wasn't thanking him for allowing me to win a Super Bowl. It was thanking him for trusting me with this journey and this story mm-hmm. and, and, and giving me the opportunity and, and allowing me to take advantage of the opportunity can, and do all the stuff that we talked about through those other things to keep me focused on what was most important, you know, and then ultimately to find the kind of faith that I wanted to have where even on that podium, even when it was so much about holding up that trophy, I wanted to remind myself, that's not why I'm here. Mm. That's not what this is about. And so oftentimes, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you know, sometimes I'll sign an autograph and I'll, and I'll put a verse, you know, when I sign my autograph and I know a lot of people think, Oh, you know, he's writing down this verse. So the person will take the ball home and, and open their Bible and go to Matthew six thirty three, or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that may, may be. And I tell people all the time, I was not signing the autograph and putting the verse on there for anybody, but myself, mm-hmm. it, when I signed and put those verses on there, it was a reminder to me that here I am. Somebody wants my autograph. Like somebody wants me to sign a football, yeah. Matthew six thirty three. seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all this will be added unto you. Always remember to keep him first. Colossians 3.23 is another one. And back to our moment in the Super Bowl, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability as unto the Lord. And so those were reminders to me, like, remember why you're here. Don't let this, all of this, you know, overshadow what it is that you're all about and what it is that you believe and what you want to do with this platform. And so that to me was what that moment was on that Super Bowl podium. And a lot of people I know didn't get it. You know, they're like, oh, you know, it's the genie up above that. Oh, he's the one. We are. You did you pray more than the Titans prayed, and so yeah. now you get to win a Super Bowl. No, and so those are things that not everybody understands. Nobody ever really fully understands your journey, mm. but those are what those moments and those things mean to me. And so, you know, to the second part of your question, like, what did you do? You know, did you pray? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't pray to win. 
Um, of course. But I'm also not going to sit here and say that just because I prayed to win doesn't mean God goes, oh, okay, boom, let's bless Kurt and let's not bless the Titans. Mm. I wanted to win. I, I didn't know what that meant. I'm, here's this God that I believe in that I know is all powerful. And God, hey, I'd like to win. You know, I, sure. this is what I like. I mean, that's what prayer is, isn't it? Yes. I mean, every time you pray, you hit your knees, you go, God, can you give me this? Can you protect my kids? <laughs> can, you, can you watch over me? Can you, can you bless me in this way? So, yeah, I mean, I was going to, you know, pray for those things. But more importantly, you know, my prayers before games was just, God, let me glorify you no matter what happens. No, no, no matter what happens in this game. And, you know, I remember standing on that podium and, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I am going to win so many Super Bowls. Because here I am on the podium and I'm thanking God and God's going to love this. And he's going to say, okay, let's just bless Kurt and let him win a Super Bowl every year. And he's going to get up there and say, thank you, Jesus. And, and, and then a couple years later, you know, you, you're, you're getting beaten a Super Bowl and then you find yourself on the bench and you go through this journey. And I remember when I was benched in, in St. Louis and I remember a reporter coming over to me, you know, midway through that year when I had been benched and he just said, Hey, I just want you to know, you have spoken more to me about who you are and what this faith is that we all watched, you know, on the big screen and we all watched on the Super Bowl. You have shown me more what this faith is that you believe in this year than you ever did when you were on the Super Bowl podium. And it blew my mind because I thought, how's that possible? When I, when I said that, there was 100 million people watching. How, how did that not have more effect than, you know, five reporters watching me all year long when I was on the bench in St. Louis, not talking to anybody, mm. but that becomes what life is all about is that when it comes to our faith or when it comes to who we are and the character back to what we were talking about, right. Mm. They're watching me in practice. Yeah. They're watching me in the locker room. They're mm. watching me when things aren't going my direction and they're going, let me see who this guy really is. Really is. Let me see him in those moments because that's what's going to resonate with me. Not the fact that, yeah, you made a great throw. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, well, okay. Everybody can do that. You know, mm -hmm. life's going my way. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that was not what that moment on the podium was all about, even though people don't understand it. And, and people of faith will be like, oh, give me five brothers, for, you know, praising God in front of millions of people. And yeah, I was, I was happy to do that. I was honored to be able to have that moment to do that. But that was as much for me in that moment to go, hey, for, hey don't just hold this trophy up and think that you're, you're great all of a sudden. Yeah. Don't think that you're just a superstar and, and, and everything else disappears because you finally made it. Remember why you're here. I love it. I, I'm sitting here, brother. I just want you to know, I'm sitting here thinking, if I was a part of my dream podcast of what we would talk about with somebody, it's what we're doing right now. Just this is just, it's so outstanding for me. And for me too, you know, when I, profess my faith. It's a reminder to me. And it just sort of comes out of you sometimes when you achieve something too. You're like, I could not have done this on my own. You yeah. know, I'm not capable of doing this on my own. I know my limitations. I know my weaknesses. You know, I know my tendencies. And so for me, oftentimes it's just I when I profess my faith, it's for me, it's just like, thank you, Lord. Like I Right. I would not be here without you. You're talking about that wilderness time. It's interesting. Your whole career is so interesting to me. I told you privately, but I should share this with the audience. Marshall Falk told me, you know, Kurt's the best man I've ever known. And I said, why? I'm a question asker. And he goes, how he dealt with the Brunel stuff. And with those of you guys that don't know, there was a point, you know, Kurt's this unbelievable achiever. He's got an MVP. They won a Super Bowl. And then on his own team, he ends up getting benched. Then he leaves there 
was, and it just doesn't seem justified to me. I've watched a lot of football. Obviously you know, you've forgotten more football than I'll ever know, but I was a fan of the league and of you and a few other guys I watched very closely. Then I watch you go to the giants. You're playing pretty well. You guys have a couple losses. They bench you and now Manning's in. Then I watch you go to the Cardinals. You're, I thought you're playing pretty darn well. And then the liner thing, it's like, it's like it almost, it's almost never escaped you this I don't know what I call it, a level of disrespect or lack of appreciation. <laughs> what did you learn? You said, don't forget what, what God taught you during this wilderness time. What's the wilderness all those times look like for you? And yeah. what were, what did you learn? Uh, well, I'm going to take you in two different spots. And so okay, okay. first of all, I'm going to take you back before I got to the NFL. So okay. one of my favorite stories in the Bible is David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves that story and, and everybody gets the story. And we use it, of course, when you got an underdog against, you know, whatever that giant is in that situation. And one of the moments that I really love in that story is when, you know, King Saul asked David, like, dude, why do you think you can defeat, you know, Goliath? What is it about you? I mean, look at you. You can't even wear my armor. you got no defenses. What? Why do you think, why do you have this delusion that you're going to be the one to take down this guy that everybody else is afraid of. And of course, you know, he goes, you know, my God. And, and, you know, he knew he had God on his side, but what I love is that he goes, well, because when I was a shepherd boy and when, you know, a lion came to take care of, you know, to to take down my flock, I was able to defeat that lion. When a bear came to take my flock, I was able to defeat that bear. And so, yeah, maybe they aren't as big as Goliath, but every time something came about, I was able to overcome. I was able to defeat it. So why is this any different? Oh yeah. It looks a little bit bigger. Yeah. He talks a good game, but that's what you learn in the wilderness. That's what you learn when you're tending flock in those different situations. And so that's what I was telling you earlier is I looked at it. Oh, when I did play that one year in college, I took down that line. When I played those three years in arena football, I took down that bear. So yeah, I know this is the NFL and I, and I know it's bigger and badder and everything than everything else, but God's shown me and has been faithful through it all and shown me that I'm capable of defeating everything that comes in my path. Why not this one? So that was a tremendous lesson that I learned wow, through the so first part good. of the wilderness. So good. And then, you know, you talk about the second part and the second part was probably more difficult mm-hmm. because, you know, just from the standpoint that, you know, two Super Bowls in two years, two MVP or in three years, two, two, two MVPs in three years. And so you get to the pinnacle and now, you know, we all think, okay, I've earned it. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I've proven that I belong here. Then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, boom, this isn't working out. And, you know, and then you go to the giants and it starts well. And then that's not, boom. And then they, they change. And then you go to Arizona, same kind of thing. It starts well. And then and you just kind of like, Whoa, whoa, what, what, what's happening here? Like, what is going on here? And, um, you know, and, and it was really, really tough because, you know, those are the moments where you really have to fight. Why is this happening? Like what, what's going on? Am I missing something? Cause that was, that was probably the biggest time in my life when you talked about the doubt, that was when the doubt really crept in. Like, man, I don't feel like I'm any different, you know, when I go out on the, I feel like I can play as well as I ever have. I, you know, but everybody's now sees me and my, the perspective on me is completely different, mm. but I'm going to trust God. I'm, I'm going to trust God that, that he's got me here. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the day, but I'm going to trust God. What true faith is, is going, Hey, whatever my circumstances are, 
I still have this relationship and I still yeah. want this relationship. I mean, I still want that person to lead. You know, it's, it's like I'm in a marriage, right? And every day is not good. There's moments where my wife's not talking to me for a few days and I'm sitting here going, Oh man, where, where are we going with this thing? But I always say to myself, but there's nobody I'd rather do life with huh. than her. Even when we disagree, even when we argue, I only want to do life with her. And that's how I looked at my faith is that I don't care where you take me. I just, I want to do life the way you want me to do. I want to impact people through this journey that you've given me. And you know, as you go through that, that's kind of what I was always preaching to myself is just to stay faithful. And then sure enough, here comes Arizona. You know, I, I go to Arizona and when I go to Arizona, you know, everybody's going, are you kidding me? You're going to go get Kurt Warner. His best years are behind him. There's no chance this guy's going to do anything. And then I'm joining a team where everybody looked at me and go, well, I mean, I know your best years are ahead of you, but don't go to Arizona. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Dick Vermeil and he's like, you're not really considering Arizona. Are you like mm. go there? That's like the graveyard because you know, the way that the organization was and the culture yeah. within the place. And, you know, I looked at it and goes, you know, this kind of feels like a perfect marriage. Here's a guy that nobody you know, expects anything from it. The guy that's not going to ever do anything the rest of his career. Why not join a team that nobody expects anything from that? There's no way mm. these two things together. Will ever <laughs> Right. I mean, you, you put two bad things together. There's no way that two negatives equal a positive. And I remember thinking to myself, and this just feels like a situation that God can use in a powerful way. Like this is what God does. He takes bad and he takes bad and he puts them together and, 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 and mixes it up with a little bit of faith. And, you know, and, and it just, and so, you know, when I look back at my life, I, I look at it from those perspectives and those stories that I read and, and once again, I look back and go, God, thank you for trusting me mm. to be faithful in those moments, mm. you know, because I, I do believe and as weird as it might sound is that I believe that there's some people that can handle the failures better from a faith perspective than others. And that's exactly what, you know, I believed going through it. And, you know, it was hard, you know, it's hard when, when people attack you and, and when people, you know, throw stones. And the natural thing is to want to pick up a stone and throw it back. Um, but, but, but it was just, again, it was all those moments, uh, you know, of, of, of prayer and kind of, you know, reading the Bible and, and just saying, you know, maybe this is our path. Maybe this is how we have the greatest impact on people is by having to be the ones that go through the stuff because somebody's yeah. got to go through the stuff, right? Somebody's got to show, you know, that, that it's not always gravy uh, when you're following God, that it's not always a blessing, that there's going to be these wilderness moments. And oftentimes I think life is about what you do with those wilderness moments. And that ultimately ends up with where you go and what you become from there. Unbelievable. I'm sitting here thinking how good God is, by the way, that there's been different timing where you and I were going to be doing this. And then obviously your daughter connects the two of us. And I'm just realizing we're having this conversation the week of Christmas like, it's just, uh, I just, it's just, God's so good. I had Joel Osteen on recently and, um, we were talking about, you're talking about, um, the old Testament. He made a point to me that I thought was just really interesting. He goes, you know, everything God, God basically creates everything in the dark, in the dark times. Yeah. And I had really never thought about it before. And he said, think about it. And he literally created the world from darkness to light. He said, it's interesting. A new day. You think a new day would start like when the sun comes up, turns out a new yeah. day always begins in the dark. 
Yeah. And so new things are born. I'm just so grateful that we're talking about this during a time because you know, it's been a hard couple of years for people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can relate to what you're describing. They're in the wilderness season of their life. And so, guys, that's why, by the way, we talk about ultimate redemption. Yeah, they've made a movie about this. Go see the movie. I'm telling you, I, I can't, I, I literally cannot wait. I mean, I, and I know most of the story and I can't wait. Oh, I don't think you know most of the story. Okay. Maybe I, I don't. I'm excited. There's a lot that, in there. I don't know. That's kind of the beautiful part is that, okay. you know, this goes beyond just kind of the football journey and it dives into the you know, story of my wife, story mm-hmm. of my son. Um, so it's got right. this title American underdog and it's about a family of underdogs. And, and so that's where I think it's really going to resonate with people, you know, resonate with people is that, um, you're going to come from a lot of different places and you're going to get a chance to be touched by this movie because there's different underdogs in different situations. Just as you said, is that, I mean, how many people do you think are listening right now that two years ago would have said, Oh, I'll never be an underdog. You know, I'm not, I'll never find myself in the wilderness. I just won two Super Bowls or played in two Super Bowls in three years. We're good now. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and life hits. And all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, mm-hmm. I never saw myself in a supermarket. And now what the heck do I do from here to get back to where I want to go? And so I agree with you. I think the timing of this movie is, is perfect um, because it is about that underdog journey and about that wilderness time. And I believe a lot of people find themselves in more of a wilderness situation now than they've ever been in their lives. You know what? I'm really glad you said that. And I've always been interested in your relationship with Brenda from a distance. So I know, I know the fact that she had had two young children. She was in the military. The guy kind of was a not really great dude that ends up leaving you, you know, you speak to your heart you fell in love with her and I'll let them see in the movie, how you met and all that. But, you know, you were willing to take on two children that were not at that time yours. And it's just a really beautiful story. But since we don't have a lot of time left, I did promise the audience that I would talk a little bit about this beautiful family you built and the lessons I've learned from you. There's just the one I stole from you was this notion. I want you to talk about another one that when you go to a restaurant, that you have your family select another family that you're going to buy a meal for. So that's the one I just want to tell everybody that spoiler alert that I took where my family and I go to a restaurant, it's let's pick another family. We're going to buy dinner for anonymously. And when we leave, just there's this gift that you leave, but there's another thing. I hope you remember that. I got to tell a good story that goes with that. Please, We're running out of time. No, no, I I want the time. Go, please go. But um, so when I was at the Super Bowl in, uh, in 2000, whatever it was, 2009 with the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, so we got down to Tampa and your family comes in, you know, later in the week. And I remember, you know, going out to a restaurant with my family we tried to sneak in the back and just, you know, small group, you know, having dinner. And um, as you said, you know, that was another one of those things like, Hey guys, let's keep our eyes off ourselves. We go to a restaurant, just our kids would have to basically tell us, Hey, we should pay for their meal. And we would say, okay, why tell, tell me why you see that group. And so we were at dinner that night and there was this huge family there. I mean, probably 30, 35 people. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun to watch, you know, that the older kids taking care of the younger kids and the families laughing and having a great time. And it was just, it was just a joy to watch from afar. Like, man, this is what you know, I want our family to be whenever, you know, we grow up and grandkids and everybody just enjoying it and taking care of each other. And so, you know, like normal, it was like, okay, can we you know, get the waiter over? And, you know, we always try to do it in a way like, please don't tell them. And for whatever reason, it was so hard for our waiters to, to not tell people like, how hard is it? Just tell them their meals pay for, and then just move on. But yeah. so we, 
So we paid for their meal, you know, and thought it was anonymous. And then, you know, as we're walking out, one of the gentlemen, uh, you know, from the family comes over and, and just goes, Hey, I want to thank you, you know, for taking care of my meal. And I'm like, ah, dude, they blew it. And he just wants you, he said, I just want you to know I'll be, uh, I'll be suited up on the other sideline on Sunday. Cause he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's sometimes how God works that, that sense of humor that uh, at the end of the day, you know, where we, we seem like opponents sometimes on the football field we're all awesome. in this together. And it was such a beautiful moment, but uh, it was That's just kind awesome. of how, uh, how God played that out. So that is so awesome. But there's this other thing you do with the eyes. I'll let you tell it. I read your book to prep and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is teaching such lessons to children. Why did I never think about this before? <laughs> so would you just share this other lesson you do when, when you're in a restaurant? Cause yeah. it's, by the way, you can do it with anywhere with people, but this is beautiful and awesome. Well, I tell you what, in this day and age, it becomes more prevalent, doesn't it? Yeah. Because now you walk into a restaurant and you see a family and everybody's on their phone yeah. everybody's eyes are down and they're all doing their own different thing. Or, you know, even if you don't have your phone, you know, what's, what's natural is, you know, you grab your menu and uh, somebody comes over and you're like, ah, give me a burger and fries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always thought it was important to respect everyone and respect the positions and respect those that are serving you. And so one of the things that we would always tell our kids is that when you order your meal, look into the eyes of the waiter or waitress and, uh, you know, and respect them and, you know, have that eye contact when you order in a way to just basically say, thank you for serving me. And so we would always say, you know, at the end, what color eyes do they have? I love and it. And so, you know, just so we, you know, would make sure that they had to think about it. And that's the biggest thing, right? Is it's not just going through the motions of, okay, I'll have a burger and fries. Mm. Take a moment, look at your waiter, let them know that you're thankful for what they're doing and be respectful of that encounter that you have. And, to us, it was just little things, you know, That's and our, huge. Kids, our kids would probably roll their eyes and yeah, I had to do. And, and again, most of them, like you say to yourself, ah, really that big a deal, yeah. but it's just moments like that where I think it's so important for us to recognize other people and take yes. a second to step back and go, I appreciate you for you. I mean, you're here serving me, mm. you know, you're here getting me my meal and I'm fortunate that I can pay for my meal or pay for somebody else's meal in the restaurant. But I appreciate that person, you know, that, that has to work that job. You know, I appreciate that person that's working for five fifty an hour at a grocery store that's facing the aisle. So when I come down at 5 a.m., I know exactly where the cream of mushroom soup is, you know, is that that to me becomes important is that the little things become so important in life. And most importantly, between people, I yeah. feel so often that the value of humanity is disappearing. And we're not recognizing, you know, who people are and what they're all about. And we're not appreciating them for who they are. And too often it's like, what can you do for me? Oh, you're here to get me my meal. All right. Give me some burgers and fries and bring me a Coke and, and, and hurry up. Yeah. Instead of going, man, I don't know where they're at in life. I don't know what, but I'm appreciative that they're working that job and they're doing this for me. I appreciate the journey that they've been on. Let me stop for a second and listen to them instead of just tell them, you know, what I need to tell them or what I want from them. I just think it's missing in life. And we see it every day. We watch the news and just everybody stop for a second. Look another person in the eye and say, tell me about you. Tell me about your journey. I appreciate mm -hmm. you, even though you're different. 
different color, different, you know, uh, political background, uh, you have different sexual orientation, uh, different faith, whatever it is, that's okay. Tell me about you. Let me get to know you a little bit. And so that was just one of those moments where you might ask their name, but you look in the eyes and it's like, okay, you know, Sarah has blue eyes. I love it. That moment of connection that we wanted our kids to have to stop everything and appreciate them. I love that. You know, it's easy to forget that I'm talking to an NFL Hall of Fame football player, isn't it, guys? It's easy to forget what this man's accomplished in his sport because of the kind of man that he is. And that's a, by the way, my kids are 18, 19 and 18 now. And there's a part of me that wishes I could go back and just say, what color were her eyes? Just to make guys overall in life right now, fewer and fewer people, excuse me, more and more people feel they're not even seen that people don't even see them. And just that connection, just looking someone in the eye. Thank you. I appreciate you. God bless you. Whatever it might be. It's just such a huge thing to be able to do for one another. Kurt, you have something that's a combination. I just want to acknowledge something about you that I admire. I try to find in my friends and that I admire in people, which is they, they have this, they tow this line between tremendous self-confidence and humility. So I know a lot of people that have a lot of humility are very humble, but they don't have any self-esteem or self-confidence and they're tough people to be around and it's difficult to get them to achieve something in life. And you and I both know, especially in the sports world and business though, there's the other side of people with tons of self-confidence, but they lack that degree of humility and, and that humble side to still want to grow and learn and be better. I just want to acknowledge that. I think that you, that you have those both in droves. A couple things I want to ask you about you and Brenda, I'll let the movie tell me some of it. This is the, I'm going right to the hard question because I was just fascinated by something. And by the way, it's probably changed, but I really research. What do I not know about him that I want to know to do this? And so I've always watched Brenda. It's funny when you played more than almost any player, they'd show your wife in the stands. So yep. Brenda was very well known when you were playing. It was probably a good thing and a bad thing because then all the fans <laughs> could recognize her on the road, I'm sure too. And um, I kind of just fell in love with her story and uh, the parts that I know about it. But then I was researching and you seem to have this beautiful relationship. You've seven children, but in the interview that I watched, which is an older one, because this will help everyone in their relationships. Maybe you know where I'm going to go here. But she actually said in this interview, and you acknowledge, she goes, I don't always trust him. And what a real thing to say, <laughs> by the way, and admit, especially when you're married to such a, a, apparently a godly man and a good man. And, and but, you know, you're an athlete. There's all those yeah. things of being an athlete. But then I think there's a lot of people that watch these that see marriages that seem perfect. Like, ah, they trust each yeah. other. Everything's perfect. It's kumbaya. They go to church. They hold hands. And you're in a real relationship. So I'm curious, is that still an issue a little bit? Like a, there's trust issues. And how do you navigate that and love her through that? And it yeah. could be anything in a relationship that's not good. This, this is something pretty important yeah. for people to hear. And I hope they're still here listening or watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's still an issue, you know, cause my wife was cheated on in her previous marriage. Mm-hmm. And then of course, as God sees fit, right. Oh, let me give you this guy that's going to be in the public eye, you know, for the rest of your life. Let me give you this journey where he's going to be out traveling and on his own and there's going to be temptation everywhere. And so, you know, a lot of times she's like, really, you know, she, she always jokes that, uh, you know, she asked for, a guy that was going to be faithful, a guy that had a job and a guy that was ugly that, uh, that no other, that no other woman would want. So that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be an issue. And so that's kind of, you know, her line is because she knew that was going to be tough. Mm. And uh, still to this day, there, there are times and issues when, of course, like anything else, when we've experienced something, there's moments where that rises back up mm. and it's like, ah, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And mm. it's been a hard part of our, our marriage is that a, 
I've got to have some sort of empathy to understand. I get it. I get it. Your eggs are in my basket. And I've asked you to trust me with your life and everything. You know, she's given up a lot of her life to allow me to chase my dream. And so a lot of that's there. And so I understand, you know, when I'm gone or when something happens and her going, Oh man, is this that moment again? Is it going to happen to me again? Is, uh, you know, is Kirk going to go a different direction? And so it has been an area of contention in, Mm. you know, in our relationship because, you know, a lot of times I'll sit back and go, have I not proven to you yet? Like after all these years, do you not trust me yet? And I think, you know, just like in every relationship is that, and Brenda has a great line in the movie, you know, even though it's earlier on in her life where she goes, you know, I'm a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized in marriage is that we're both works in progress. So you know, there's things that I do that I could have done better that wouldn't make her mm-hmm. not trust me. And, and again, that's not something that steps over the line, yeah. but it's just something that I didn't consider like, Oh, you know, there was a, you know, she's up in the stands and there's a female reporter down on the, on the field. And, and I know her. So I go over and give her a hug and, and, yeah. and whatever. And my wife sees that from up in the stands and she's like, okay, who's that? Like, mm-hmm. wh- what is that? And, you know, for me, it was like, well, no big deal. It was a friend of mine. I gave him a hug. It was, it was nothing. It was innocent. But those kinds of things, like, I understand, you know, mm-hmm. I could be more conscious of those yes, things. That's the point. You know, I, I could talk to her. You know, one of the things, you know, early on is that when people would come up to take pictures, the natural thing is you put your arm around a woman and, and you mm-hmm. smile and take a picture. And my wife just said, hey, do you mind just not putting your arm around her? Just have them come up and just keep your arms down and then just smile because, you know, I could see a picture sometime and now your arms around another woman. And yep. again, it could be very innocent, but those are things that, you know, that, that bring up, conjure up different thoughts for mm-hmm. me based on my past. And so both of us going, you know, sometimes I got to go, can you just trust me in this? Mm-hmm. I just need you to trust me. And I know it might be hard for you, but I want you to know I'm, I'm going to be faithful. And then there's other times she asked me, Hey, do you mind doing this? And for me, it's like, yeah, that, that's a little thing that I can do as we continue to work through this. And we're, you know, we're in this thing, basically 30 years together, 24 years of marriage, and we're still works in progress. I love it. She still has some issues that it doesn't just disappear overnight. And a lot of that comes from, because she is so into this thing. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is everything for her, her family, her kids, her marriage, she's all in. And mm-hmm. so she doesn't want to have to go through that again. And so we have to navigate it, you know, for her, I I need her at times to kind of let go and go, I'm going to show you that I trust you. And she's gotten much better at that. And then I've got to be willing at times to go. Okay. I understand that. I won't Mm. do that again. I'll work on, on trying to avoid those things and be conscious of where she's at in life. And that's, you know, that to me is marriage in a nutshell is that, you know, we're all working through different things and we take things and analyze things different ways. And we got to communicate that and we got to both do our best on both sides and give and take a little bit. I love that you're willing to talk about it. I think that people just a lesson from that is you've raised a beautiful family and current and, and continue to. And you guys are sort of a role model couple for a lot of people. I just think it's important for everybody to know just because you have issues in your relationship. That's not necessarily a weakness. It can also be a place where you can actually express the most love for that person is supporting them through some of those issues. It's easy to love them when they're 
you're dancing at a wedding together and everyone's dressed up and beautiful, but can you express love to them and concern and care through something that might not even make sense to you, but it's something they're carrying from something else. That's why I wanted to make sure that got in there. And I guarantee you, even though I don't know most of it, one of the most amazing parts of this movie, I guarantee you is going to be the dynamic between you and Brenda, her life, your life, your life together. Okay. Two last last story. I can't uh, wait. But you know, just again, I know we're we're taking too much time, but no, our relationship is, is that she always challenges me that, you know, oftentimes we think I want a relationship that's easy. I don't, I want a woman that every day challenges me to be better, to do better, to think differently. And that's one of the reasons I fell in love with Brenda and I'm still in love with her today. And yeah, sometimes it it causes some friction, but I love that because she's not just saying, okay, you're good enough. I I don't ever want to be good enough. I want to be the best that I can be. And she makes me better every single day. And sometimes it's through challenging me in ways that it would be easier just to say, oh, just forget that. Oh, just, just trust me in that. But I love that about her and I love that about our relationship. And so here we are 30 years in and I'm still growing and trying to get better and, and being challenged every day. It's crazy. Right before this interview, I made a post about that on my Instagram, literally almost verbatim what you just said. And one of the things I said was that your life sort of becomes a, a totality of the expectations of your peer group what they expect of you, the standards they hold. And the, the closest peer group you have is the, is the romantic intimate relationship that you're in. And then it extends to your friends. I don't want people around me all the time to just accept me as I am. I want to have fun and laugh and be with them and they love me, but that they also want me to get better and to grow. So yeah. I love that. All right. Two last questions. This is so good. And by the way, we're not going too long. Cheesy football question. There's two minutes left in a game. You can give a football to Warner, Montana, Manning, Brady, or Elway. Who do you want to have the football to drive the last two minutes? You know, because those are my that, quarterbacks with that ego that you're talking about. I really want to say me, uh, because I, you know, I always felt like mm-hmm. I was my best in the, in the biggest moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going with Tom. I, I just, okay. I think that's, what's always separated Tom from everybody else. And, and all those guys, I mean, Joe was, was the same way. Um, you know, a lot of guys the same way, but in the moment, why he's, you know, been to 10 Super Bowls, why he's won is because in the moment he always makes that play. You know, he always does what he needs to in that last two minutes to give his team that opportunity to win. And so it's like I said, as much as I would like to say me, and I felt like I was really good in that moment, Tom, Tom's the best. Okay, good. You probably could not go wrong with any of you. That's why you've all got Super Bowls and he'll be in the Hall of Fame with the rest of you. The last question is this to dreamers or to people who see themselves as an underdog. And again, American underdog on Christmas day, guys, <laughs> it's just, now, you know, it's real when you see it. Cause you heard from the man, but what advice would you, if somebody listen to this man, they're like, look, it's the holiday season, a new year's coming up. I don't want the life I have right now, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm in my version of, you know, stock and shells at high V restaurant. And I've got this dream. It's not the NFL, but it's a dream relationship, a dream body, a dream business, probably more than any of that, a dream way I'd feel about me. Yeah. A dream way. I just feel about me. What advice or counsel would you give them if they could get up close to someone who's just done it on a level that almost no one's ever done it before? What would you say to those people? The thing I would say is never let your circumstances define you. That to me is what dreaming is all about. And it's twofold. It's when you're in your supermarket moment, when you're in that position where you go, I don't know what the path is. I don't know where I'm going from here. The coach is telling you, maybe it's time to start thinking beyond football. And, you know, I had family members that would be like, 
Don't you think it's time to start thinking about like what's, what's next? Don't let that define who you are. And by the same token, what we were just talking about, when you're on the Super Bowl podium, when things are great, going great, don't let that define who you are. To me, dreamers are the ones, as we were just talking about, that always want more, that always want to be better, that always want that next thing. And it's not at the point of sacrificing what you have now and not appreciating what you have now, but it's simply going, this stuff is not defining me. You know, one Super Bowl win. I don't want that to define me. That doesn't mean I need 10 Super Bowl wins. Maybe it's the next thing I do. Maybe it's the thing I do off the field. Maybe it's how I handled the wilderness after I won the Super Bowl. But I'm always looking for, okay, what's next? You know, how can we continue to add to this legacy? Or how can I continue to add to who I am? Because you talk about, you know, being a dreamer and we talk about success all the time. And too often we want success to be on a scoreboard. That I'm successful if... I'm a firm believer that I'm successful if I'm continuing to grow, if I'm continuing to be happy and content in my situation while striving to be more, to have more, to, you know, to continue to see, can I push this envelope and can there be more to accomplish? You know, it's, you know, it's so humbling to go, my, you know, my life's been made into a movie. I'm 50 years old and I have a movie coming out on Christmas. But then I say to myself, well, let's have a second movie. Like, I'm cool with that thing. Who has two movies? I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I just say to myself, and I'm not done yet. Yeah. The first chapter was awesome. And I mean, to a point where somebody feels like it's worthy of having a movie made about it. That's great. But that's not good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not done yet. If that's all I got after 50 more years, I'm missing it. And I'm not, I'm not doing enough. And so that to me is what I would say is that we all find ourselves in circumstances where it's easy to get complacent. Or it's easy to, to wallow in self-pity and go, well, I don't, I don't want to be here. And for me, it was always like, okay, this isn't the end game. So, you know, I can get hung up in this moment all I want, but to, instead I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to see what's coming tomorrow. I'm seeing what's coming five years from now and 10 years from now, because the past is the past. As great as it might've been, this is not where I'm going to end up. I'm not staying here the rest of my life. And so that's what I would say to all those dreamers is that just don't let your circumstances define you good, bad, or indifferent, keep going, keep searching, keep striving, because that to me is what makes us happy. That's what makes us content. That's what life is all about. It's just, I want to reach my potential. I want to reach my purpose. And I don't know if I have yet, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you got a movie about you. You did it. You're there. And I'm saying, well, maybe that's not the movie that that I want at the end of the day. Maybe that's not all there is to the story. And so that's, I, I think the piece of advice I would give to everybody where no matter where, where they find themselves right now. I'm so grateful we did this today, brother. I mean, I, I mean it. I'm sitting here in such immense gratitude. I, uh, I just absolutely appreciate you and, um, and thank you. I, I, I just, I feel like this is a real gift that I can give my audience at a time of year where they need this gift. And so guys, if you enjoyed today, please make sure you're following Kurt. Are you on Instagram, Kurt? I am. I don't do as much on Instagram, uh, but Kurt 13 Warner uh, really on all those different platforms uh, is is where I'm at and and what we're doing. Okay. And go see American underdog and share this. This is the time of year where you share an episode like this, everybody, and it'll bring uh, inspiration and a whole bunch of tactical information to people that you love and care about as well. So God bless all of you. Max out. This is the Ed Milet show. 